All right, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter number 12 tonight, Luke chapter number 12, and uh, we're getting ready to have a shower afterwards, and I, I've brought soap, I brought shampoo, I brought one of them scrubby things that, uh, that they, one of the, one of the spongy scrubby things. Is that what they call? I, you're the one who uses them, Fred, not me, so I don't. But, uh, so we're excited about that, and we're looking forward to it, and I'm going to try to be mindful of the festivities tonight, but of course we want to give the Lord first place in all that we do. Luke chapter number 12, and I'd like to begin reading in verse number 1. Luke chapter 12, verse number 1. The Bible says, In the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod one upon another, he began to say unto his disciples, first of all, Beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore, whatsoever ye have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light. And that which ye have spoken in the ear in closets shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body. And after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after ye have killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings, and not one of them is forgotten before God. But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Also I say unto you, whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man can also confess before the angels of God. But he that denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. And whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But unto him that blasphemeth against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven. And when they bring you unto the synagogues, and unto magistrates and powers, take ye no thought how or what thing ye shall answer or what ye shall say. For the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour what ye ought to say. We'll stop reading there and pray. Father, we love you tonight. What a blessing to be here with your people. Lord, no place I'd rather be than right where we're at tonight, surrounded by God's people. Lord, singing praise unto you, uh, preaching the Word of God, and uh, you working in our hearts. I pray that you'd help us tonight to not take for granted these next few moments, but to have our heart trained upon you and upon your Word. I pray you'd have liberty to work in our hearts and minds and lives. Father, that we would yield ourselves more continually unto you, moment by moment, that we, Lord, would see our life as a vessel into which the life of Christ is poured and dispensed throughout this world, a witness and a testimony, a, a candle, Lord, that's not hid under a bush, a city that is uh, set upon a hill, that we would be the light of Christ in this dark world, uh, that your light might make a difference in the lives of others. Father, we love you. We thank you for the privilege to know you and serve you. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. I want you to notice uh, with me tonight the warning that the Lord Jesus gives in verse number 1 of our text. He began to say, the Bible says, to his disciples first of all, beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees. And then he does not leave us wondering what he means by the term leaven of the Pharisees. He tells us, and that is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Now, what does it mean to be a hypocrite? Some would say that hypocrisy is simply being one thing in one crowd and one thing in another crowd. And I would agree with you basically about that assessment. Uh, we get our same word whereby we talk about acting and stagecraft 
uh, from the word that hypocrisy comes from. And certainly being a hypocrite means to play a role, to wear a, a mask of identity, to pretend to be something that you are not. But now somebody's thinking in their heart right now, well, preacher, who isn't a hypocrite in some ways? I'll be the first one to admit to you, it's the sad reality, but we would all have to acknowledge that there's probably times in our life that we behave in a hypocritical manner. Who of us does not feel pressure when we're in a crowd that is hostile to the things of Christ uh, to in some way deafen or dampen or silence that testimony? Probably all of us, our flesh cringes in those moments and encourages us to be quiet or to be lesser about our testimony for Christ. And if I was to be honest with you, I mean, and I might as well be honest, God knows my heart, uh, and, and you know me this well anyway, uh, I might as well admit to you, there's been times that I've played the role of hypocrite. Probably times that you've played the role of a hypocrite. I, I hope not in a thoroughgoing way, but, but there have been times when I should have been bolder in my testimony. Times when I allowed the pressures of the world uh, to quiet me and discourage me from having a testimony. Certainly we all have had moments of hypocrisy in our life. But can I go just a little step further? And let me give a little illustration to explain this. This morning we sang that song, I love it. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Don't you love that song? Man, didn't the choir do a good job? Uh, it's true, we're all just sinners saved by grace. It's true, we ought to recognize and acknowledge that fact. But hey, that's not an excuse to lower living. That is an explanation of our frailty. But it is not an excuse to lower living. It's true, we're all sinners saved by grace. But hey, we ought to put a little more emphasis on the saved and on the grace and little less on the sinner. It's true that we all ought to be in hell tonight if we got what we deserve. But hey, praise God, we've been translated from that uh, kingdom, that power of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear Son. And we should not let that reality, though it has merit, be an excuse for us not living a life to the fullest that we can for Jesus Christ. Can I now transfer that over to our message? It's true we've all been hypocrites. Everybody has. has had moments of hypocrisy. But the danger is not just that there are times when we have uh, allowed ourselves to be bullied and quieted about our testimony, maybe behaved in a way that we know we should not behave and, and is not in keeping with our Christian testimony. The real danger is not when we have moments of hypocrisy. The real danger is when we yield to hypocrisy. When we say to ourselves, I'm going to be this in this crowd because this will cause them to accept me and I'm going to be something else in another crowd because that will cause them to accept me and I'm okay being two-faced and disingenuous in the way that I live my life. We're not talking about moments of weakness that the Lord Jesus is warning against, but He's pointing to the behavior of the Pharisees and he's saying this is a group of people that have gone comfortable with this idea of being one thing before God and another thing before men. And the Lord Jesus warns them of the great danger of hypocrisy in their life. Now, what is it that causes hypocrisy or gives such temptation to it? Well, when we read this passage, you know, as is true of all the Word of God, it's not isolated or divorced from the greater context. Look with me back in chapter 11. You may not even have to turn the page of your Bible to see it because I'm just going to read the last two verses. And I want you to notice what was going on at this time. And here's what I want you to think about. Why do we yield to hypocrisy? Why do we play the different roles at times in our life? Well, notice number one, the Bible says in verse 53 that he, as He said these things unto them, and he's been doing some hard preaching. He's been speaking some plain truths. He's been making the scribes and Pharisees uncomfortable. 
And because of that, the Bible says the scribes and the Pharisees began to urge him vehemently and to provoke him to speak many things, laying wait for him and seeking to catch something out of his mouth that they might accuse him. In other words, the scribes and Pharisees, they are conspiring and they are developing some ruse and means whereby they can try to catch him up in his words. They are openly trying to disprove his integrity. Let me say, number one, this was a time of persecuting hostility towards the Lord Jesus Christ. They're feeling the pressure from the religious leaders of that day. They are uh, scrutinizing everything that the Lord Jesus is doing. And they are being open in their hostility towards Him. You know, part of the reason that it's easy to play the role of a hypocrite is there's so much pressure to compromise our Christian testimony. Uh, We live in a world that loves nothing better than to see a Christian fail and fall. And oftentimes the great danger is when we have made mistakes, when we have done wrong, when we do have failures in our life, because we convince ourselves the stakes are so high that it'd be better that we deceive the world instead of being honest in our life, we begin to play the role of a hypocrite. Here's the truth that you and I both know. At your place of work, at your uh, place of education, at your place of fellowship, wherever it may be, if you claim to know the name of Christ and another person is open in their defiance of God and the Bible, that uh, anything that that person might get away with, you as a Christian won't get away with. And that feeling of pressure, that feeling of our uh, behavior, our conduct being tied to the testimony of Christ can often cause us to make a wrong decision and be disingenuous in how we live and be fake in how we live and play the role of a hypocrite. Not only was it a time of persecuting hostility, but notice how our text begins in the first verse. It says, in the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod one upon another. In other words, the crowd was getting bigger. There were more people around. There were so many people they couldn't even move about. Now how, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're one of 12 men that is uh, is being closely discipled by the Lord Jesus, how could anything you do go unnoticed in that crowd? It was a time of persecuting hostility, but it was a time of public scrutiny. It was a time when people were watching everything the disciples were doing. Now, I wish I could tell you that that's not really what we have to contend with, but I'd have to lie to you to tell you that. I'm not trying to make it seem as though the world uh, spins upon what you or I do, but it is true that the world is watching the way Christians behave. Probably more so today than in a long, long, long time. The world is paying attention. Listen, if you if you slip up, lose your temper, get hateful, uh, get mean with people, they're going to pay attention to that. Uh, if you slip up, do something dishonest, Uh, In your conduct, the world's going to pay attention to that. I'm not here, listen, to sell you a bill of sale. I'm not here uh, to give you rose water. I'm here to tell you the truth. And the truth is, the world is watching you as a Christian. And because of that, it was a time of pressure for hypocrisy. He looked at his disciples and he said, you look at these Pharisees right here, and you know they're not genuine in their love of God. You know they're not genuine in their reverence of the Word of God. But they're happy to go out and play that role and pretend that because it it uh, affords to them the accolades of, of men. It gives them power and authority over men. But you know that's not what they really are. They're living for the approval of men and they care not the opinion of God. He's saying, I know it's tempting to live that way. I know it's tempting to behave that way. But it says, I'm warning you, there's a great danger in yielding to hypocrisy. He gives an illustration, and it's just one word. He he could have uh, easily passed over this, but he likens uh, hypocrisy to leaven. And he does that deliberately. 
I'm not a baker of any kind. I pretty much stay away from appliances the best as I can, other than the lawnmower, amen? And lately I've been trying to stay away from it too. Somebody ought to say amen right there. Uh, I think it's going to get me this week. I think I'm going to have to do it. But uh, I, I'm not I'm not a cook. I'm not a baker. I'm not somebody that does those things. My wife loves to bake. She loves to cook. I love to eat. That's why we have a happy marriage. And I have high cholesterol. But uh, but it, it's it's not really my forte. So I'm somewhat limited in what I can say about leaven and its function and its role. But there are a few things that I can say. And you forgive my ignorance. I may not say it in the right way. But I thought to myself, why did the Lord Jesus use leaven as an illustration of hypocrisy. Well, I thought of three things very quickly. Number one, I thought of the puffing up of leaven. In fact, that's really what leaven does. It causes bread to rise. That's the very nature of it. You know the danger of hypocrisy? It is rooted in and it perpetuates pride. It is based on the idea that I am too prideful to be honest about my flaws and failures and I would a lot sooner pretend to be something I'm not than have to deal with the fact that I am what I am. It is pride, and I understand there is a sense in which pride can have a certain nobility to it, but it's not that type of pride. It's the same type of pride that caused Satan uh, to exalt himself against the throne of God to say, I will arise and be like the Most High. You know, he didn't say, I will arise and I will be the Most High. He said, I will arise and I will be like, I will behave like, I will pretend to be the Most High. You know why? Because he wasn't the Most High. He wasn't God. But he said, I'm happy to play that role if it gives me the throne problem with hypocrisy, it's rooted in pride. It puffs us up uh, and it causes us to be prideful in our spirit and attitude uh, towards God. Number two, I thought about the permeation of leaven. And here's where I'm really limited. But I do understand you take that leaven and you add it to the bread and it distributes throughout the bread. So that ideally every portion of the bread hopefully is going to rise in the proper way. You know the danger with hypocrisy? If we're willing to play the hypocrite in one area of life, it won't be long and we'll play the hypocrite in every area of life. Uh, we'll say to ourselves, well, this is so easy. You know, I can live a lie and no one knows the sin that I'm involved in. No one knows the disobedience against God. No one knows the rebellion that I'm engaged in. So, And I got away with it this time. Why not just continue living this way? And pretty soon we get so wrapped up in our deception that it becomes self-deception. And our entire life we just grow comfortable with the idea that we're living this life. We are living in a society today that is basically bankrupt of honesty. Uh, we have a lot of hostility, but we don't have a lot of honesty. You say, what's the difference, preacher? The difference is in who you're willing to tell on. We're all ready to tell on somebody else. But very few people are willing to be honest about their own life and their own condition. Uh, the problem is it doesn't stay contained. It's not you say, well, it's just a little lie. I just told just this. It won't stop there. Pretty soon your whole life will become just a mask of deceit that you wear in front of people. But you know, there's another reason that I think he pointed to leaven. There's another problem with it. And I'm going to use this term. It may not be a perfect term to use, but the porousness of leaven. What that leaven does is it introduces... And please, you bakers out there, don't have a little grace with me. Amen. If I've got it wrong, you teach me what's right by baking me some cookies. All right? <laughs> that's grace right there. That's, that's great. It's loving people with charity. Amen. That's grace. Uh, what it does is it produces something that causes the bread to rise and put cavities within that dough uh, so that whenever it bakes, it expands. In other words, all the puffing up that the leaven does, you ready? There ain't nothing to it. It's all hot air. There's no substance behind it. 
when we were out traveling, going out west, we went to this place called Lambert's Cafe. Anybody ever been to a Lambert's Cafe before? All right, some of my people here. They call it the home of the throwed roll. This thing's like a big gymnasium, and they got, and I'm gonna refrain from salivating over, I mean, we got stuff we got to do tonight, I can't go along being tangent, but, but the reason they call it that, Brother Ken, there's this boy that pushes around a cart with these rolls. They're the size of my young child's head. And if you throw up your hand, they'll take that roll and chuck it across the restaurant to you. You say, what happens if you don't catch it? You get hit with it. Amen, that's common sense. That's, that's, that's what they call lived experience, amen, when you get smacked in the head with a roll going 30 miles an hour. These rolls are massive. And when you begin to tear them apart, uh, they're fluffy, they've got all these cavities in them. I mean, they're, they're, they're exact, I don't know how they do it, it's a touch of God or something, but they're amazing rolls. And they rise perfectly. When that, listen, when that yeast gets in there, when that leaven gets in there, the idea is to create these cavities to make it fluffy, to make it flaky, to make it expand. But the problem is there's no real substance to it. You know, the great danger with hypocrisy is it's all a big lie. There's no substance to it. We can pretend to be something we're not, but pretending ain't being. And sooner or later, it's going to come home uh, to reality in our lives. So he describes it as leaven. And then, as the Lord Jesus often would do, He makes a statement of great profoundness, and then He gives several explanatory statements concerning it. And that's what we find in the rest of our text, from verse 2 down to verse 12. And the Lord Jesus gives us five reasons that He warns against hypocrisy in the life of the believer. I want you to notice them with me tonight, and then we'll dismiss. Look at verse number 2 with me. The first reason the Lord Jesus gives why hypocrisy is dangerous, why He warns against it, is in verse 2. He says, For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore, whatsoever ye have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light. And that which ye have spoken in the ear in closets shall be proclaimed upon the housetop. First reason that the Lord Jesus warns against hypocrisy is because of the futility of it. It's pointless. Because sooner or later, God's going to bring everything out into the open anyway. You would think living in this day of hyper-surveillance. And I'm not really sure the average individual understands the extent to which the surveillance state exists that we live in. Uh, it was quoted by one big tech oligarch a uh, few months ago in Congress. He made the statement, he said, there is no expectation of privacy anymore. That ought to terrify you as an American citizen. He said, there is no expectation of privacy anymore. And by the way, lest you think this is a partisan thing, it was the Patriot Act that brought that to pass. But he said, there is no expectation of privacy. I will tell you that right now I have the base level assumption that everything I say and everything I do, there is someone listening to it. I was talking to someone, I guess it was Brother Larry yesterday, was talking about some church business, and I said, listen, Brother Larry, just between you, me, and the NSA agent that's listening, (laughs) the fact of the matter is we live in a day where no level of privacy can be expected. Now, wouldn't you think that would produce in us a genuineness? Wouldn't you think if we thought, hey, nothing I do goes goes on, somebody listens to everything I... Right now, as we're sitting here, they're listening to the things that... Wouldn't you think that would produce a genuineness? Instead, you know what it's done? It's entrenched us in our phoniness. 
We have instead said to ourselves, well, it's impossible to live with integrity because they know everything that we do. And so we're just going to continue to play this role, this facade, day in and day out. i got news for you. It could be, and I hope it's true, that the NSA never comes knocking on your door. But you mark her down. One of these days, you and I are going to stand before God, and we're going to have to give an account for the things that we've done and the things that we've said. The problem with hypocrisy is it's pointless. You're lying to the one person that knows everything and that will hold us account concerning everything. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. That's God Himself. He says this, there's nothing covered that shall not be revealed. He's going to uncover everything. Neither hid that shall not be known. One of these days, it'll be brought into light. He says that which was spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light. And then He uses this language. That which He have spoken in the ear in closets. In other words, not just incidental privacy, but deliberate privacy. We have tried. We've gone into the closet. We've whispered it in the ear. He says one of these days it's going to be shouted from the housetop. So in other words, we might as well be genuine with God because He knows us anyway. One of the, we, we can try to hide it, but listen, we need to get our eyes off of the immediate, the present and onto the eternal and recognize this life is but a fleeting moment. It's what Paul describes it as. He says uh, that just but, but for a fleeting moment, a brief moment, our light affliction which endureth but for a moment. This life is just a moment. And we're going to have to live through eternity with the repercussions of how we've lived. So we might as well go ahead and be honest with God. Because sooner or later, and by the way, we ought to uh, be honest in our life, in our testimony. We will not get right in the way we live until we get real about the way we are living. We might as well go ahead and do that because the one that we have to answer to already knows the truth of the matter anyway. He mentions the futility of it. Look at verse number 4 with me. He says, And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Why does he warn against hypocrisy? One, because of the futility of it. But number two, because of the fearfulness of it. In other words, hypocrisy is basically rooted in the fear of man. It's saying I'm so scared of other people's opinion of me that I'm willing to pretend to be something I'm not so that I do not have to draw their ire or their criticism or their judgment. He says the problem with that is not that you fear the opinion of someone. He said the problem is you fear the opinion of the wrong person. He said it's rooted in this idea of being so terrified about what man can do. And then he says, what's the extent to which man can exert influence over your life? He says the most that man can do is rob you of life, take your life away from you. Not that that's not a tragic thing, not that that is not a big deal, but he says, I would have you remember, friend, that God, the one that you're lying to, the one that you're pretending in front of, the one that you are abusing with your hypocrisy, He's the one that has the ultimate power. In other words, he is saying, just as we said a moment ago, right now you're afraid of all these temporal consequences. But he says there are eternal consequences to the way that we live. And we ought to look beyond that immediate and look to the eternal. One of the things that we ought to all learn at, a, as, a, at as young an age as possible is in regards to the world's appreciation or approval of our behavior, it simply does not matter. Now, I want to be careful with what I'm about to say. You and I have a testimony. And that testimony reflects on the Lord Jesus Christ. But when we are actively engaged in playing the role of the hypocrite, dampening and concealing our testimony of Christ because we think that will win the approval of men, when we're doing that, we are short-circuiting the very purpose for which God put us here 
and we are missing the greater point. It's funny how that there is this spirit and mentality. You see it in people all the time. I was a youth pastor for four years. Uh, it felt like 40 years, but I was a youth pastor for four years. And I can't tell you the numbers of young people I heard th- say things like this. I don't care what anyone thinks of me. I don't care what anyone thinks of me. These are the same young people spending $200 on tennis shoes. <laughs> I don't care what anyone thinks of me. Uh, these were the same ones that were obsessively taking pictures of themselves to post on social media to get likes, to get whatever it is, or tweets or likes or everything. I know what all that stuff is, but I like sounding like I don't, so I say it that way. Um, <laughs> they said, I, I don't care what anyone thinks, but really at the end of the day they did. They cared deeply what everyone thought. And you say, well, preacher, that that's a terrible thing. Well, no, it's not altogether bad that we care how we're presented to the world. But there's a fundamental problem when we care about that, but we don't care at all how we appear in the eyes of God. He's the one that really matters. I I promise you, and you're going to learn this, you you want to know why older people have peace of mind in the way they live? Because they've learned that sooner or later what other people think just don't matter anymore. And they just don't care. It just doesn't matter. I promise you, there's not a single older person sitting in this room that is uh, laying awake at night because of what somebody thought about them in high school uh, 40 years ago doesn't matter to them anymore. Now, you say, well, preacher, you know, that, that's, that's cute and that's funny. No, but I'm trying to get you to understand the point. The basis of hypocrisy is giving far too much credence to opinions that don't matter while entirely disregarding the singular opinion that matters above all. He says, I'm warning you against it because the fearfulness of it is rooted in a wrong-headed way of thinking. Look at verse number 6 with me. He says this, Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Now this, by the way, is an interesting passage because in another place we're told that two sparrows are sold for a farthing. And here we're told that five sparrows are told for, sold for two farthings. You say, why is that interesting, preacher? Because uh, the Lord even takes notice of the buy one, get one free sparrow. <laughs> he even notices the one you throw in to sweeten the deal. Amen. That, that's me, the one that wasn't worth nothing, the, the, the misshapen, funny-looking one that you throw in uh, just to sweeten the deal. Uh, he even takes notice of that sparrow. But what is the application in our passage? He says, but even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. This is interesting to me because he just got through saying, you ought to be fearing God, not fearing man. But then he immediately turns around and says, but you know, after all, the fear that we have towards God should not be a terror because He's the one that loves us more than anyone else. You know why He warns against hypocrisy? Because the forgetfulness of it. We're forgetting that He never forgets us. We're forgetting the love that He has towards us. We're selling short and trampling upon the great grace that He's shown towards us, the great concern that He has in our life. Listen, I, I tell people all the time, I'll call somebody, if they've, if they've not been to church in a little while, I'll call them. And I, I will always say this, I'll always say, listen, I'm just checking in, I'm not checking up. And what I mean by that is I'm not calling to fuss at you, I'm not calling because I'm mad at you, I'm just calling because I'm concerned and I want to know that you're okay. Uh, if you tell me, preacher, I'm fine, that's fine, that's enough, amen. Uh, half the time I don't even want to know where people have been, it just grieves me anyway. But I'm just calling to check in. Can I remind you, God keeping a note of our life, He's not doing that to check up, He's doing that to check in. He's not doing it because He wants to uh, put a chain around your neck and put shackles on your wrist. He's doing that because He loves you and cares about you. Now, think of the great irony of hypocrisy that we would live and we would give the right away in our behavior and in our reverence 
unto a world that is openly hostile towards Christianity, a world that is not concerned about us, a world that only wants to govern us as a taskmaster, and all the while disregard the God that loves us and wants only what's best for us. One of the things you learn as your life matures, as you develop in your life, is you learn to care more about the people that care about you and less about the people that couldn't care less about you. Uh, as we live in this world, you can live your life constantly trying to please those that have no interest in you. Or you can recognize, starting by the way with the Lord Jesus, first of all, those that have been there for you, those that have loved you, those that love you even when you're not what you're supposed to be, those that you don't have to be in a, hi- a hypocrite in front of because they ain't going to throw you on the trash heap even if you do mess up. Those are the people whose opinions we ought to care about. And first and foremost, you know who that is. That's God in heaven Himself. He already knew what you was when He saved you. And He saved you anyway. (laughs) He's the one we ought to be seeking to please. Number four, look down at verse number eight with me. Verse number eight. Uh, The Lord Jesus makes a powerful statement. I will admit to you I'm not going to unpack everything about it, but I do want to just notice the theme of it. He says this, Also I say unto you, Whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. But he that denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. Now, how many of you know that context is king when you're studying your Bible? You always want to know what the context is. Uh, We find a statement that seemingly contradicts in one of the pastoral epistles when uh, the Bible tells us that uh, if uh, we deny him, he cannot deny himself. Amen. His testimony is sure. His seal is sure. The context of this passage here does not regard a person standing with God. And the Lord Jesus is not saying that if you are a hypocrite or if you deny me before men, I'm going to take back my salvation and throw you into hell. That's not the context of it. Rather, He's talking about public testimony. Here's what He's saying. He's saying if you're embarrassed by me, that's going to make me embarrassed by you. He is not saying I'm going to send you to hell uh, if you aren't bold in your testimony, but He is saying this, I'd like to be proud of your life, proud of your testimony. But if you live the life of a hypocrite, if you're so ashamed of me and embarrassed by me that you will not be bold in your testimony, how then can I be proud of you before those that are around me? We could maybe simplify it by saying this, if you deny me in your crowd, I'll deny you in my crowd. I would say this, He warns against hypocrisy because of the forsaking of it. Not His forsaking of us, but our forsaking of Him. What a shame it would be, man. And listen, we're all going to stand before God. Uh, Whether we like that or not, whether we really get that or not, that's the truth. You and I are going to stand before God one day with no one standing between us, but us having to give an account for how we have lived. Do you want it to be said on that day, that you were so embarrassed by Him that you were unwilling to admit to people that you loved Him, that He saved you, that He was your Lord and Savior. What a shame that would be. I'll admit to you, there's probably going to be moments in my life that I'm going to have to admit that very thing and apologize to God for it. But I don't want there to be any more occasions than have already occurred in my life. I want it to be said. I want the Lord to say, you know, whatever problems Toby Weber has, At least he's not embarrassed by me. Most of you parents can remember that painful moment when you first realized that all your kids were embarrassed by you. Imagine what it's like to look at a God that's so good, that's never done anything to be embarrassed about. Hey, listen, 
The idolaters, they ought to be embarrassed. They're worshiping figments of their imagination. Uh, listen, the, 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 the uh, atheists that, that deny even what's plain before their own eyes, they ought to be embarrassed for they're denying what's apparent and visible to all men. But we as Christians, man, as people that know God through His Son, Jesus Christ, we've not been given some second-class uh, relationship with God. We've been made joint heirs with the Son of God. How dare we be embarrassed by Him? I, there, I, I wish I could give you something more profound in this particular point of the message. But let me just say, I think we're going to deeply regret it one day if we have to admit before God that we were embarrassed about Him in front of the world. I think He warns because of the forsaking of it. And then finally, and I'm done tonight, and I know you don't believe that, but that's okay. Uh, by the way, I'm going to skip verse 10 for one reason, one reason alone, because I preached a message on it uh, about three, four months ago. You want to know my opinion on the unpardonable sin? Go get that message from Brother Nick and you can uh, listen to an entire exposition of that thought and of that idea. It's not because I don't have an opinion about it, but it's because it's not what I'm preaching on tonight. So look with me at verse 11. It says this, And when they bring you unto the synagogues and unto magistrates and powers, take ye no thought how or what thing ye shall answer or what ye shall say. For the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour what ye ought to say. Now, workshop this in your mind with me for a moment. Here's a man that has listened to the message of the Lord. And he has been smitten in his heart at the role of the hypocrite that he's played. But he recognizes that if he comes out boldly on the side of the Savior, that it's going to bring persecution into his heart and life. That's the very thing that he has feared the most. That's why he's been the hypocrite, is because he did not want to face the opposition uh, that a bold testimony for Christ would involve. And the Lord Jesus, knowing that, speaks peace to his heart and mind by reminding him that on that day, when you stand in front of the crowds, in derision. On that day when you're criticized, when you're mocked, on that day when you are interrogated as to your testimony, He reminds you that you won't stand alone on that day. Why does He warn against hypocrisy? Well, because of the futility of it, the fearfulness of it, the forgetfulness, the forsaking of it, but finally, because of the faithlessness of it. Hypocrisy is predicated on the idea that when we have to stand, God won't stand with us. We say, if I take a stand for God, it will go ill for me. And that is based upon the idea that God is not in control of all things and that God would abandon us in that moment when we have great need of Him. Uh, there's been people that mistakenly have tried to take this passage and apply it to preaching and use it as an excuse to not be diligent, not be a student of the Bible, not prepare a message when they stand up. That's not at all what the Lord Jesus is talking about. Ain't none of them boys that are against uh, preaching notes. Ain't none of them ever preached in a synagogue. Somebody say amen to that. Ain't, ain't none of them ever been brought under magistrates and powers. Amen. He's talking to Jewish individuals that would turn their back on the faith of their fathers and put their faith in the cross of Calvary. And he's pointing to the fact that, yes, very likely you will be brought before synagogues. You will be brought before magistrates. You will be brought before powers. And you're afraid that in that moment you won't be able to stand. And so it would be better just to compromise your testimony, just to pretend like you're not what you are. But you're forgetting something, friend, on that day when you have to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. You will not stand there alone. God Himself in the person to the Holy Ghost will help you to give an answer. He'll give you the boldness that you need. He'll give you the courage you need. He'll give you the peace that you need in that time. You could take the time and read the histories of martyrs 
of the New Testament church and read uh, occasion after occasion of the miraculous power and strength and peace of mind of God that was given to the saints of God in a moment of suffering. Uh, Courage that goes beyond what mere bravado could ever afford a man, uh, but is rooted in spiritual strength. And I'm here to tell you this. Listen, if you make up your mind that you're going to live for Jesus Christ, He'll not leave you standing there alone. He'll stand there with you. He'll help you to be bold. He'll help you to have a right testimony. He'll help you to be genuine in your walk for Jesus Christ. I'm not saying you won't face opposition, uh, but I'm saying when there's opposition, there'll be an unction that helps you. There'll be a boldness that helps you. Uh, You say, well, preacher, prove it to me. Not prove it to yourself by taking a stand. Try God and see if He won't be everything you need Him to be in those moments. It's based upon this fantasy, this falsehood in our mind that God won't stand with us, but it's never been God that wouldn't stand. It's always been men that wouldn't stand with Him. He's always been willing to stand with and for His people. But we have to be willing to put aside the mask of hypocrisy, to put aside the role of deception, and to say, instead, I'm going to start standing up for Jesus Christ and having a right, genuine testimony before the world. By the way, that won't happen while there's still things we're lying to ourselves about. That won't happen while there's still sin in our life we're pretending is not there. Part of the reason we struggle to have boldness out there is we don't even have boldness in here. Uh, we're not even willing to get honest with God about the things in our life that need to be corrected. And until we're willing to do that, we're not going to have the boldness that we need. Hey, listen, the righteous are bold as a lion. That's what the proverb says. Hey, the wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are as bold as a lion with a clean heart, with a committed heart to God, with a life that is lived not in perfection. God's not asking for that. He already took care of that in the person of Jesus Christ. He's not asking for perfection from you, but He is asking for dedication and devotion from you. And with a heart that is clean before God, with hands that are clean before God, there comes boldness to stand for God. We have to be willing to get honest with ourselves, honest with the Lord. But if we'll be willing to do that, we'll find that the, the mask of sin, well, I shouldn't say the mask. We, I would say this, that the testimony of sincerity is far better than the mask of hypocrisy. That getting real instead of playing a role will get us farther in our relationship with God, in our peace of mind, and in our courage uh, than we could possibly imagine. Let's bow together tonight as a musician comes to play. The altar is open. I want to give you an opportunity to do business with God. There might have been something in your life that God pointed out tonight uh, in the message, and it might not have been anything I even spoke about. It could have just been something in your life that the Holy Ghost used this as an opportunity to put His finger upon. If there's something in your life that needs to be addressed, won't you bring it to God? Say, so, preacher, he might get mad at me. Oh, no, he loves you. He cares about you. Uh, the thing that grieves him is when we won't bring our problems, our flaws, our failures, our brokenness to him. He, he don't have a problem with us bringing those things to him, he does have a problem with us sitting on top of those things and keeping them unto ourselves. It could be that your life is clean before God. You're living the way that you believe that you ought to, uh, but you feel like you've lacked the courage that you wish you had to be a testimony for Christ. Why don't you come down and ask Him for that strength and He's able to give it to you in your life. Father, bless this invitation. May it magnify the Lord Jesus. We ask it in His name.